Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Puzzling Company. I've got some energy today, Zach. I know you sense it. Yeah, I, I did <laughs> immediately from the intro. I mean, you normally just pack so much energy. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I can. I was waiting to see what intro you were going to do today. I definitely got the the Zach equivalent of an eye roll based on my intro. Uh, earlier today, Zach was teaching me meme language. Oh, very, geez, very man. much appreciate that. No problem. Um, I'm 34, but I really felt incredibly old today. It's okay. I was telling you a little bit, but I mean, I'm 26 and I was hanging out with some of our other coworkers of ours at the escape room and they're 18. And when I was hanging out with them, I very much feel that way. So don't worry. We all feel it in our own levels. <laughs> it's all, it's, it's all just a different range. But today we are talking about Lost in the Shuffle, which is a game coming to Kickstarter mm-hmm. that you should definitely check out. This game not an unfamiliar format. It's a deck of cards, promises a lot of puzzle content, and I really enjoyed this game. Yep. Actually, um, the way that the game actually functions and formats, you're going to have to wait for our next section to find out. And also a shout out to Escape Mail. We are in the Escape Mail studio right now, and like any great game, Escape Mail is for the experienced to the first-time player. You should definitely check them out whatever holiday you celebrate that's coming up, this is a winning stocking stuffer. With that being said, hang with us. We're coming back right now to talk about our review through Lost in the Shuffle. Zach. Zach. What's up? Ever since we've gotten back from Boston, you've been spacey and some weird things with your voice have been going on. Okay. I go to get some donkeys and I bang a Yui and you're acting all weird now with me? It's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you have like this Southern Bostonian accent and I don't think that you're aware that you're doing it. I've always talked like this. No, no, you haven't. And okay, let's, let's try something. I'm going to remind you of something that you did before Boston, like ask you a little trivia. Do you remember what the first murder mystery game on the podcast that we did? I remember some game that we did. that was about Harvard. was it about that? No. Okay. You remember anything else? Do you know what state that the murder happened? Yeah, it in? happened in Florida. Oh, are you talking about like the lovely city murder that happened? Yes. Like the killing affairs? That's game? what I'm talking about. But now you're not, now you're talking normal. Yeah. What do you mean? Okay, uh, tell me what you liked about The Killing Affair. Oh, it's a really great game. It's like a murder mystery. It's episodic. You have to kind of figure out what happened on that day. It's a cold case as well. Um, But over, I think, five or six episodes, you get to complete it. Really fun game. And I know that at akillingaffair.com, they have other games as well. And I think they currently have a Jigsaw one that they just created. So really excited to see that. So you remember all of that. But if I told you maybe that the next game that we were going to play was about the New York Yankees, you would say... Oh, screw the Yankees. Go Sox. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here we are again in the Escape Mail studio. Check out Escape Mail. Lots of great material. It's almost tricky. It comes to you in such a small envelope, but it packs a big punch. That's another reason I really like Escape Mail. Zach, 
run us back through the game that we're talking about today. Just a brief format and what to expect from Lost in the Shuffle before we dig into what we like about it. Yeah, so there's actually a lot to Lost in the Shuffle, but essentially you are sent a set of cards, 52 cards, that seem to have a lot to put into them, around them, on them, the box itself, stuff like that. But also you are introduced to an online digital element as well of where you will be putting in your answers, but also introducing the narrative as well as what the objective of today's game is. Absolutely. I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, I don't know why. I haven't figured it out yet, but I get excited about deck of card games. It just feels like something that's so old and if it can be pulled off really well, then I'm all here for it, right? And we've played Mm -hmm. a couple. We actually have a couple extra games sitting in it. It's something, playing cards is something a lot of other games use. I love when playing cards is done well. Yes. You have any reason why you think that? I can't pinpoint it for me personally. It's funny. I'm not to play completely the opposite of you, but I actually, I think they're interesting because I think they're such a classic thing so that if you can change them to have more spice to them, as I'm going to say, I think it's really cool, especially when done well, because I think playing cards are just such a traditional classic style of like gaming slash entertainment yeah being able to kind of introduce new elements to them or hide things is a really fascinating job to do but i'm actually the opposite i actually feel like card games are my biggest like potential upset unfortunately but i guess it, it is the same thing though to a degree of like if it's done well though it really surprises me so that's super interesting i did not know that yeah i always look forward when we first got approached to try out lost in the shuffle i was like yes yeah because i think i've been waiting for someone to really wow me with it mm-hmm. this game i think for the most part did that it was really fun i actually very much enjoyed lost in the shuffle i love it we'll kick us off then with what is our first real big enjoyment point for this game the very first thing is the story or narrative of it So there is a full narrative that goes along with the online parts of the game. So without spoiling too much, you will get an intro video that kind of explains the two main characters other than yourself playing this game. It kind of explains where the story is going to go. You are told very clearly as you solve different things, you get rewards for completing more and more of the puzzles that are in the game. And as you complete those different rewards, you get new videos that give more narrative as well as kind of the revelation of what that narrative leads up to in terms of the ending as well as like the meta uh, puzzle. Absolutely. To me, it had like a portal vibe to to it, I I think is a fair way to put it if you enjoy video games of that sort. But it was humorous. Oh, yeah. It was fun. It was super relatable to us as people who play a lot of games. Yes. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But I agree. Like, I was always excited to get the next form of narrative. Yes. I was always looking forward to it. I was never upset that we had to stop the game, take a break, to hear what these two comical characters were saying with each other. And I think if you play this game, you'll be laughing, you'll be snickering. It memes talking about memes today it memes game society Mm -hmm. uh, and culture at some points like it's just a it was just a lot of fun it was a joy it was a very joyful story i totally agree i really enjoyed the user interface and the puzzle input system yes this game boasts as a selling point a lot of puzzles right Mm -hmm. i think it said like 54 yeah somewhere in the 50-ish range i think it's 53 or something because i remember the the last one they made it very big by adding a lot of excitement. Oh, and okay, sound yes. I know what you're talking about. Puzzle. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes, it, but with that, I was nervous on the front end. I was like, is this just going to be part of some obnoxious mega meta? Am I going to have to be writing all this stuff down in order? No, 
very, very well thought of system. And I want to dote on it. And we may talk about this a little bit more. Not only was it organized and really well, cleanly laid out, it was helpful. Yeah. In ways that weren't a hint system. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that as well because it also allowed us to play this game in one sitting. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're thinking, oh, 50 something puzzles, that's not a one sitter. It had some creative uses of, I don't know if I would call it signposting, but directing people and eliminating information. We'll talk more about this, I think, later in the middle section, but really well-designed yes. input and user interface system. Mm-hmm. What else did you like? The extent of the puzzles. So in a game of 52 cards and a little bit of an online element, you're kind of wondering how much you can actually do in terms of different styles of puzzles, including cards. And at first, generally, I was like, oh, there's only so much you're going to do with, with cards. Right. You know. But I was actually blown away with how many different styles of puzzles they were able to create using the digital aspect of the game as well as the physical aspect with the cards. So the box had multiple puzzles, which I won't spoil any of those. The cards have a bunch in their own different ways, their own metas, their own you know different systems of styles. There is an online puzzle that you get to do by going to a certain website doing things. There's other puzzles involving the actual narrative. It felt like instead of I was I was worried it was going to be like one or two styles of puzzles just throughout the entire experience. It, we ended up with like six or seven, and that's only including like styles or formats. And yes. but if you go like puzzle types, if you go like logic versus like physical or like you know those types of connection smaller, versus yeah, arrangement. Like, there's a right. ton. There's so I agree. There's so much content, and to me, it broke up the monotony. Yes. Right. Like when you're doing that much puzzle material, I think about this when we're, when we talk about puzzle books, Yes, I can't sit down in one sitting and they're designed this way to like go through a puzzle book in one day. Yeah. Right. Like I said, you think through 52, 53 puzzles, however many there were. And you're like, I wouldn't sit down and do that in a yeah. day, but we did. And we were having a ball yes. doing this because it was so different and it took us inside the cards, outside the cards hundred percent agree with you what you said. This was from a puzzling perspective, just very, very well done. Yeah. And I think you've hinted at it. You can play this game over multiple days and it actually has a really cool part of the design of the UI is that it is supposed to slash kind of save your progress. And as you play through the game, you are rewarded with new things that advance the UI to help you. And it's really unique in that aspect of terms of like, like you said, it kind of makes it where you can speed up your game or help you kind of start getting in the direction of finishing mm-hmm. up quicker. But it, it's nice in terms of like how we played it. We could have stopped and came back pretty easily. Or like you said, we were enjoying it so much that we just were like, oh, we're just going to blast through this. You know, I mean, we took our time as much as we could, but we should try to experience all of it. But we're, I mean, I was just generally having a fun time, like solving all these different puzzles. So I was just sitting around like moving cards around, trying to solve, solve metas, helping Jared with the online puzzle. Yeah. Uh, solve that. It was really fun. And that's the other thing too, that I, I'll, I'll jump back to the UI and say something about it real when you're dealing with so many cards, right? Yes. I felt like the UI also helped us in terms of organizing ourselves Yep. because the hardest part of this game is making connections between cards. But as the farther you get into the game, the game helps you. Yes. The game helps you without like overbearingly making you feel like you couldn't make a connection. Yes. And it's just smart. It's Mm -hmm. very smart game design. I really want to commend that. 
And I, I totally agree. Like this overall was just a very, very enjoyable experience. I'm going to go to far as to say is like, I think it's been my favorite deck of card games that we've played so far. I'm very high on this game right now. Yep. Uh, we did have a few things though, to talk about in terms of potentially some room for improvements or just some knowledge about the game that may make, help you make a decision about this mm, game. Yeah. Zach, tell them, t- tell them what happened while we were playing. And I do want to preface this with, I think we discovered something thankfully before this game went live that will be fixed. Yes. And shout out to the creator. We talked to them multiple times about this. I'm just gonna make it clear beforehand that they worked with us a lot and very quickly and were very polite and like helping us solve the issue as much as we could. So very much a shout out to them. But what did happen was that uh, the game is meant to save your progress as the game goes on. So you create like a username and that's how it's supposed to remember like your info. So you like log in with that username. And then when you log back in, let's say you solved 15 puzzles, it would save your progress of the 15 puzzles you did. And like from what we could tell it worked but what happened is at some point in our game, I was playing on my phone. My phone kind of refreshed the page just because the internet went out for something for a second or something was weird with my phone. And it refreshed the page and it lost everything. It was all gone. And I was like, oh, maybe just refresh. So maybe I have to go back or log in. And I tried logging in and then it was still all gone. And then I was like, well, maybe we need to make a different account. And then we remembered a lot of our answers. So we started and we had written down a good bit of them. So we were like putting them all in again. We got to the same point and then it happened again. But I think the issue that we ran into that time was that if you put in like so many answers in so quickly, if the website can't like process it, because I was just spamming in like, this is this answer, 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 that it just didn't count up. And it it happened like twice. So we basically ran into the issue of being like, hey, uh, we've like done like 70% of the game and we keep losing our progress. And so we talked to them about it and they like said, we're super quick with responses and willing to help with us try to figure out what was happening. And at the end, it all worked out. We got it all fixed and we were able to finish the game, but do want to bring up that it did happen though once or twice, but it should be fixed. Hopefully by the time the game comes out and it'd be great. Yeah. I, and I think it will be like, I think we just stumbled on something that wasn't taken care of. Yeah. And I don't know how you would have discovered it unless you did like us and we just accidentally discovered it. Yeah. Uh, but we did want to bring it up um, just because that was part of our experience, but you should know that this will be well taken care of by the time this gets to Kickstarter. Also, you know, it's good if we still super enjoyed this game and went through it. We put in the answer <laughs> keys. We put <laughs> we in the answers three, three or times. Three times. Yeah. That's how much we like the That's game. That's how much we like the game. That's a great point. We were willing to sit there and retype sometimes lengthy answers to yes. get it all done. The only other thing we'll say in room for improvement, and this is more so about who this game is for. This game fundamentally feels like it is designed for puzzle people. Mm-hmm. In some respects, if you really want a true appreciation of the entire narrative for people who know people, for people who mm. recognize certain things. In my opinion, it felt like the big laugh at the end, the big narrative payoff. We got to laugh at it because this is the world we live in, Zach. Yes. If I'm, you know, somebody that stumbles upon this at Kickstarter and then I get to the end and the big narrative thing happens and I don't have any context for that, I don't know that I would I'd be like, okay, like maybe I would go research it. Maybe, maybe it is the point of it, but I want to be careful in saying that, like, I think the game, people will enjoy the game, but to the extent that you can understand the narrative, I don't know. Now I want to be careful because there are some Easter eggy things in this game, but in the discussion that Zach and I had, we, we had to agree that the narrative as in enjoying it to its fullest 
felt dependent on knowing people in the industry, knowing things in the industry. And if you didn't, maybe you get to the end and you're like, I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I, I agree. It is definitely like the finale of the narrative requires information that most people in our community or community or like people who are enthusiasts would get. Yes. But if you, like you said, if you're Sally who just decided to buy this off Kickstarter and never played a game like this before, you'll understand the narrative to the finale. And then the finale goes, I'm going to introduce a person you've never heard of or a niche joke, which like I said, is awesome for us. Cause we know who those people, like we know what, is kind of going on and kind of the terms and people involved. But for other people, it's like, Oh, I'd be a little unfortunate if like you didn't get the like big joke at the end. Yeah. No. Yeah. And, and that's just being honest. Like I said, I think this is a puzzle game made by a puzzle person for puzzle people. Yes. Right. That is who this game is really going to hit home with. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, maybe I should, I would still give this game a try. It's not that it will be ruined, but it would, we, we laughed out loud at that point. And then we had to come sit back and say like, Oh, would everybody do that? Would most yeah. people do that? And that's why we're just mentioning this here a mm-hmm. little bit. That's really going to wrap us up for this section of the show. We've got puzzles to the people coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for puzzles to the people. Hey, I just got back from the mail. looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh really? What is it? It's the new escape the crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape dash the-crate.com and use code PUZZLINGCO, puzzling C-O, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now here in the second section of the show that is Puzzles to the People, brought to you by the Escape Mail Studio. If you guys have ever played an Escape Mail game, you know that they're awesome. They pack quite a punch for just a little envelope that you get. You guys will super enjoy them, and we hope you get to play them in the future. So getting into this section of the show, I always say it's madness for me. It's not as much madness anymore. I think I've gotten used to Jared's craziness of just random topics slash figuring out what we're going to discuss. And obviously as time has gone on too, I have uh, more knowledge in the space. So there's only so much you can trick me with now, Jared. But <laughs> this, this section is basically for us to kind of discuss a topic involving the game or around the community that is puzzles at home, puzzles and mysteries, or we kind of look at different reviews of the game from either other reviewers or from people who buy it on websites or Kickstarter, stuff like that. So, Jared, I have actually no idea what we're talking about today. Would you like to inform the audience, including me, what's coming my way? I was going to talk about a little bit more about the UI, but then we got into discussing kind of the narrative. Yes. I kind of want to talk about Easter eggs today. Okay. We haven't really dove into that topic before. It is an important part of a lot of different mediums. Yes. But I, I kind of want to talk about it because I want to know your thoughts on when it's done well, why you think it's important in the worlds that we cover, times that you've enjoyed it, times that you haven't, and maybe just start with what we mean by an Easter egg. Yeah. So Easter eggs essentially are hidden secrets in games or movies, shows, any entertainment that allude or point to another 
entertainment or content based thing. So as an example of an Easter egg, you might be playing a Mario game, you know, as you're going through the levels, you might look in the background and see a gigantic hut as well as a barrel that says DK on it. Yeah, that's referencing or an Easter egg to Donkey Kong. Like it could be as simple as that, or there are Easter eggs that are hidden in games where you have to complete a bunch of different puzzles, move things, get into secret areas to find like an homage to another character or a voice line or a place. You know, it depends on the game or the entertainment industry, but it's basically just alluding to another thing. One of my favorite ones is in Halo. I used to be a very big Halo player. Yep. Uh, I believe it was two, but it could have been three. You, there's an Easter egg to where you can get the scarab gun on like a plasma blaster. Yeah. And you just, you can immediately kill yourself by pointing it at the ground. But it, you're right. It usually does require some outside knowledge or extra effort mm-hmm. in order to get something. So we see this in the world that we cover too, right? Because we cover video games. We cover tabletop games. We saw it in the games today. Yes. What do you specifically love about Easter eggs? I think they can be really sweet. Easter eggs can also be of any platform or any like style. So there are Easter eggs that are meant as like a, like, oh, that's just cool. Like a a funny interaction between characters or games where you introduce, like you said, an outside element. There are like ones that are like in memory of other people or other people. Like that's one of the, I think one of the coolest things that a lot of companies I know have done is where I've seen games, especially video games mostly do this, but like a big person that likes that game or whatever, or if someone unfortunately passes away that was a big fan of it, they'll put them in the game or add them as like a really cool quest or something like that. Like it's very like, it's just honorable, like of that company. Yes. So I love them in games. They're very much like a reward for understanding a lot of the world sometimes or adjacent things that you enjoy in that style of industry. But then also sometimes it's nice because even if you don't fully get the Easter egg, you go and look it up. Or like you kind of gain more knowledge on it and then you're like, oh, I appreciate that more now. Like I get that reference or it kind of goes like, oh, that's crazy that they were able to get this game or this character in this world. Yes, I agree with you. I I think there's some of the games that I've really enjoyed the most and it does. It it feels like maybe like the sprinkles on top of a cupcake. Yeah. Uh, It also to me is a level of intentionality and detail that the creators are putting in because they're passionate people too, right? Like homages to other video games, things like that. Like I remember I, I, not too long ago, I played the pedestrian, which is a great puzzle platformer. So many Easter egg homages to ultimately why they wanted to build that game because they loved the things that came before them. And I agree with you. It feels sometimes that are very difficult to attain and it's almost like an achievement. We've talked about achievements before, like, Mm -hmm. Oh yes, I I got this flip side of that question though. Has it ever been off putting to you? No, you know, most of the time it is like a reward. I think the only reason I could find it not as rewarding or kind of like felt out of the way is if they just shoehorn in a reference to something just to throw it in. If it makes like zero sense, you know, if like they just go, aha, we have rights to this character. So we're going to go like, this is this fantasy world. And then this character, like Indiana Jones shows up randomly. That doesn't like really make sense. Mind you, I'm actually just describing Fortnite half basically to the degree. <laughs> they just go, here's a character. Well, mind you, they narratively throw them in somehow, but you're just still bitter about the temple. We never got into. Okay. We're going to get that at some point, actually never, but maybe, but I don't see many places where I would not like Easter eggs, but I think sometimes it just feels the only times I've I've had it be awkward too is like if it's put in an awkward space like in the game. But most of the time, those types of Easter eggs are really well done. Or 
I don't like sometimes when I do certain Easter eggs and I think there's going to be a bigger reward from it in, mm. in certain games. And I would say mostly video games, right? Where you're like, you're down a rabbit hole of doing this Easter egg. I've also done Easter eggs in like Borderlands series does these. Yes. Or a lot of them are rewarding, but there are some that are not rewarding. The joke is that you did them and you're like, oh, so I just spent like an hour and a half doing this puzzle to basically, or like solve this thing to basically get cold. Like you just got debated, you know, <laughs> or like one I did in Sea of Thieves is that they basically have a Rick roll in the game now where you find this book and basically one of the characters basically does, does a Rick roll on you, but changes it narratively to be, you know, in Sea of Thieves world. You mentioned something earlier that I want to bring up and I've never felt like this, but I've never thought about it in this context until we've had this conversation is you said that, Easter eggs can really make you feel like an insider in essence, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm in the culture. I'm in the group. I get the joke. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's almost a level of exclusivity to it to say, it's kind of like a nod to say like, I see what you did there and I like it. But inevitably then there is people that might look at something and be like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, have you ever, I'm trying to recall a game or something that I felt like that before. And most of the time, I think the benefit of the Easter egg is it's probably just gone way over my head. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I just continue on. It's like when you go to a, an art museum and you're like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to just going to keep walking because that I didn't really like that. But do you think there's an inherent risk there with alienating people? Yeah. Or is that the whole point of Easter eggs is that it's so small that it shouldn't? No, that's a great question. I think most of the time Easter eggs are either hidden well enough or I think they're in hidden enough or kind of not meant to be found by a lot of people that I think it's fine being exclusive. I don't mean that like people still can't do it, but you kind of have to have some knowledge. But also I've had Easter eggs that some games do where it's just really obvious. Like they just throw it out there. So it's it's meant to be like known by everyone. And I don't think any of those are bad. I could see how it'd be unfortunate for someone to like not fully get the reference, especially if it's thrown into like the main, like, like we were discussing with Lost in the Shuffle. If there's like an Easter egg that is thrown into the main game, like component, and it's meant for you to know that reference. So like, I'm going to say Borderlands because Borderlands games do this a lot. They'll reference the other games or other characters. And if you don't fully get it, you know, and even if it's a joke, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know that guy. And then once you learn about it, you're like, oh, that's actually really cool, you know? Or, I mean, many games that have narratives in it, like Overwatch, or, I mean, I know the new Overwatch 2 has a few new changes to it that have some Easter eggs to the the first one, or the character changes between the first and second. You know, it's really cool when you get those references, but at the same time, I could understand, like, if I was a new person and I jump into, let's say, God of War, and they're making references to old God of Wars and I don't get it, I'm like, oh, that's unfortunate that I don't get that reference. But does that then spur you on to help them in a marketing push, like, oh, maybe I need to go play the first God of War, or... Or so forth. And like, is it, I think th- it that's, that's what I'm wondering no, here. Yeah. I think it depends on the game and the Easter egg itself. I think depending on how good the Easter egg is and you know how I am, I would be intrigued by that. I would want to know that answer. So like for me, I would do that because I like narrative. So if I learn like there's a big narrative payoff to this Easter egg, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go learn all about it. Right. And if like you said, if it's a thing where I need to play the game or watch a video to understand that reference, then I'm like, oh, that's even cooler. Like, because now I gained all this extra information on like a this character of why they're like this. So like one of my favorite Easter egg types are, are puzzle based characters recently that I've been having a lot of fun with is speaking of Overwatch 2 again, is uh, there's a character in Overwatch 1 slash 2 called Sigma. His whole character's motive is that he is a support tank, but he his whole origin story is that he was actually working on kind of learning about black holes and was able to create one 
and it went wrong. And basically it shattered his mind and his personality between multiple versions of himself all stuck within. And as he was trying to improve, like he was sent to a like facility to kind of like a mental hospital almost to try to work with him. And basically the bad guys in Overwatch, Talon, abduct him and then use him as a weapon. But the intro cinematic, if you guys ever want to look up Sigma's intro, is the most fascinating two minutes I've ever watched because it, it has classical music used as its own puzzle to a degree and understanding of what's going on. This super intelligent character trying to explain the different like what he saw from a black hole slash what happened and how his mind is shattered. But the Easter eggs in it is that there is all these hidden puzzles that help you realize that like he is all over the place in terms of personality mm. like and what's what you don't know about them as well but it's so frustrating because that character needs more cinematics or more narrative <laughs> i think you're just bitter i oh i'm bitter that okay mind you great they make cinematics a lot of them are actually really cool that's the one thing blizzard entertainment can do really well is art and cinematics however that's the one character i'm so mad that they don't explore more because he's literally just like this crazy case maybe they're waiting i think of uh i think of disney a lot disney is yeah. like you know, now that, you know, Marvel is under Disney and Star Wars is under yep. Disney, like all of these entertainment franchises do this. But my personal view on all of Easter eggs is there's more reward than risk. Yeah. It, when done right. Right. Yes. It's, it's like you said, if you think Easter eggs are just like, let me close my eyes and reach into my basket and sprinkle them throughout the game. I think you're doing it wrong when it's done with either a, a degree of difficulty or a degree of intentionality. I think it's all the world. I can't tell you how many videos I, I've watched, me and my kids, of, oh, did you notice that character in that Pixar movie? Yeah. And and that just builds the world out more, yep. right? Like, it makes you engage to pay attention on a different level, really seek things out to the point where, you know, we're even experimenting with this at the escape rooms right now. Yeah. Because we've said this before, the devil is in the details. And when somebody picks it up, it's a bigger aha enjoyment. So I'm all in favor of Easter eggs, but I, I just thought it was very interesting because this game has some wonderful Easter eggs. At moments, I wonder if something should have been Easter eggs, but weren't. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very interesting to see how the nod to other content can be used and wielded to great advantage. Oh, yeah. And I would be frustrated in a game that probably didn't, especially, yeah, that especially from a company that I knew should. It's almost an expectation, I think, in some games. Yeah, I think it depends on the game. I mean, obviously, big franchises, you expect it a lot, and especially because a lot of games have Easter eggs. Like, it's become very common that most big video games have Easter eggs of some sort, either to other franchises of th that they own or the games that have been made in that same franchise or references to other big media. Yes. You know, so, I mean, it makes sense in that aspect, but most at home, I'm going to say in terms of the world we're in, mostly, I don't expect it too much just because I feel like most of the people are kind of on the lower end, but we, I say lower end in terms of like, you know, less creators or create less content. Sure. Know, obviously compared to like mass market. Right, media. right. But I will say it's been really cool that I've noticed, and I know you've seen this too, that a lot of creators have been doing this, like either creating Easter eggs to other people in the community or collabing with people and creating these un like universes connected to each other. Yes. Which is really fascinating because some of them I wouldn't expect to be connected technically in their universes. And you're like, oh, you threw like this world and this world together. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Absolutely. And uh, you were hitting on just what I was about to talk about. I've seen people's names anagrammed hidden in games recognize people in some videos. Yep. Um, and, and it, again, it's like, if you're watching, this as Joe blow, 
you don't know that that's Lisa Spira at the end of a dark part game. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Like you don't, you don't know that. That was funny. Yeah. Uh, but for those of us that do know them, it was like, Oh, what a fun surprise. Like, like what are they doing? What here? are they doing in here? Uh, it, it's fun things like that, like that you just really enjoy. But I appreciate that conversation. I, I, I enjoy your perspective a lot on that. That was fun. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. <laughs> no problem, man. <laughs> well, hang on with us. We have questions for creators coming at you next. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey, everyone. Jared here. And if you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that Zach and I love to test our skills as private investigators. We've done this for local police departments, federal agencies, and we always seem to catch our bad guy. But one of our favorite companies to do that with is Unsolved Case Files. They have a really great product. Their game works through envelopes. Every time you solve part of the case, you open another envelope and you get to dig into even juicier and deeper details until you finally figure out what's going on. They have a great online input system for their answers. And of course, as we always talk about, a great hint system to complement it when you get stuck and you're looking for that extra nudge. Personally, we love these games because they tell great stories. Those stories have great twists and the connections that you are making to solve the case lead to those super satisfying aha moments. Me personally, I like these games because they're what I call one sitting games, which means they take about an hour to two hours and you don't have to worry about a cliffhanger ruining it if you want to get all the way through it. You're getting an entire story, an entire game every time you play an unsolved case file games. Currently, there are eight of these games out there. You can find these games at unsolvedcasefiles.com. And just for being one of our listeners, you can get 15% off by using the code PUZZLE15, all one word, PUZZLE15 at unsolvedcasefiles.com. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. We are now back in the third section of the show that is questions for creators. In this section of the show, this is where we get to talk to the amazing people who create these games. And for today's game, which is Lost in the Shuffle, we get to talk to an amazing gentleman um, by the name of Spencer. Spencer will introduce himself a little bit more. I don't want to spoil too much of the great conversation we had. We're going to go right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your puzzling background. My name is Spencer Beebe. I started out in getting in the puzzling scene five years ago, making escape rooms. Me and some friends teamed up, put up an escape room, and it seemed to go well. Uh, we got a lot of positive feedback, and it was it, it was going so well that we opened a second uh, escape room. We teamed up with another company, uh, another uh, like-minded escape room powerhouse. We started a new company and then pretty nasty pandemic hit and everything got shut down and the escape rooms have since been shut down. Uh, sad to say. Some of the games live on. Some of some <laughs> another escape room uh, companies, two escape room companies in Vegas were kind enough to see see the goodness of the games and, and uh, take them on board. But right around the time that everything was shutting down, I got the idea that I would like to try and design an at-home escape room. And then I got a lot of free time, as a lot of people did. <laughs> and then a whole different at-home tabletop puzzle game was made and completed for the Secret Santa project. I had intended to, I do, I do intend to bring that eventually to, to Kickstarter, hopefully. Um, but it's big and ambitious, and I wanted to have more of a, a name out there for myself as, as someone who does good stuff before I was going to ask for a lot of money from people. So hence, Lost in the Shuffle was born uh, as a more 
palatable price for an at-home uh, game from a first-time designer, I think, sort of what I was going for. And hopefully also very fun. Spencer, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of Lost in the Shuffle and why you decided to build a at-home game as well as kind of like a deck of card game? So I had in my head that uh, I was going to make a tabletop at-home escape game. And uh, I threw all of my great ideas into it, turned into a, a huge behemoth, super expensive, uh, like it would arrive in a functioning briefcase. I was like dead set on that. And then I designed it. And I made it as a secret Santa for Jillian Raymond, a friend of the show. And she really liked it. And so uh, hopefully, I do hope to, to make that into a game that, that's offered. But then sort of midway through that process, I was like, people, people don't know who I am. No one's going to want to shell out the amount of money I think I'm going to have to ask for this thing. So what if I tried to scale it back? And two of my previous escape rooms, I did wind up using custom decks of cards. So it was a medium that I was sort of comfortable with. One of them was like, you know, regular playing cards. And then we made a fortune teller game that all um, sort of hinged upon a custom deck of tarot cards. Nothing to the extent of light in the mist. So uh, Rita can call off the uh, the hitman. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was uh, a process I was comfortable with, with designing cards and printing cards. And then I thought to myself, well, I could make a card game, puzzle game, deck of cards filled with puzzles. And then, uh, and then I found out that Enigma Emporium already did that with Carte Rouge. But I picked up Carte Rouge and I love that deck of cards. That thing's like a, a work of art. I think you've talked about it before, but it wasn't what I expected. And so I expected that these cards would just be just blasted with puzzles all over them to where it was barely a functioning deck anymore. And it was just a huge puzzle game. And so that's what I set out to make. Yeah, it started out like, let me do something quick and easy. And then fa fast forward three years because it took forever. Uh, it was It's hard not having a deadline because I just... You just keep adding stuff to it. Initially, I was I was happy with it. And it was like 30 some odd puzzles. And then one day I had the idea, like, wouldn't it be so fun if it was a 52 puzzles? Because people could say it's a 52 cards in a deck, even though this one's got two jokers. So we're at 54. And then, yeah, I just kept adding and adding. And the whole web uh, online element kept adding stuff to that. I was like, well, if I'm going to have people on a website, you can do very cool stuff with a website. And then that just kept having, and because I had lots of free time, I was like, I'll just tell myself to code a website from scratch. And then that, that, there went like two months, uh, sort of a roundabout way of getting there. But that's how it came out. Spencer, we can tell throughout the game, comedy is very important to the game. Why did you decide to make a comedic game and also have kind of like these different Easter eggs? This happens with a lot of my projects that I start on is they start off with like a cool, intriguing story. And then just for my own amusement, start making jokes about it. And then that winds up being the final product is that it just becomes super, super silly. The like the original story for this game was like this huge, like historical fiction that went back to like that followed like the myth of the Phoenix back to like ancient Egyptian times. And there's like these people who have been immortal because there really is a Phoenix. And then it looked like and they invented cards, by the way. That's why it's a deck of playing cards. And it was this, it was crazy. It was it was nuts. And then. The first thing I did was I made my briefcase game was also very serious. And I made that very silly all of a sudden. And it was so fun all of a sudden, just for my own amusement, just for my own like engagement in the design process. It just like keeps me uh, more excited about it. Because I feel like when, when you have like a dark or serious story, it seems less likely that through the design process, you'll have like an idea where you're like, ooh, this will be even more dark or more mysterious. But if you're going comical with it, it just seems very easy to be like, oh, you know what else would be funny? And so that just keeps me excited for it. But help, help, help me uh, cross the finish line with this thing after, after three years. 
basically it just comes out of my own being getting bored with my own ideas if they're not funny is what it comes down to. Spencer, we know Lost in the Shuffle is your first publicized game. So can you tell us a little bit about your experiences you gained or had to go through while making Lost in the Shuffle? The design process is like the fun part of anything. I feel like even with an escape room, like designing it is building it is the fun part. Back when I was running escape rooms, that was the like uh, players would come in, they'd have a good time. Like we only had two rooms at our first location. So like, oh, are you going to build more? And we're like, yeah, that's the whole fun part. Uh, this uh, <laughs> uh, us uh, operating the business uh, stinks compared to actually designing it. And so, yeah, big fan of designing games, uh, but actually producing them. Holy smokes. So I think the reason I, I probably spent too long designing this game was I waited too long to get people playtesting it because I feel like no matter how long you wait and polish something before your playtest, as soon as that first playtest like happens, at least for a lot of my projects, I have in my head like I'm going to change 80% of what I've just spent two years on. So uh, and this is this is a quote from some other this is like a third hand quote that I heard from someone quoting someone who I don't remember. But they mentioned that it was specifically about game design. And they said, if, if it's the first time you're showing a game to somebody and you're not embarrassed, you waited too long to show that game to somebody. So I think I should have just tried to embarrass myself a little bit sooner. Also, very good motivator to get stuff done is when you go back to the go back to the old drawing board and you're like, well, that's never going to happen again. I'll design it so good. The next group will have a great time. And then <laughs> I like to say when when I'm doing my early play tests, uh, I, I can like see the light leave the eyes of the players when they were so excited initially and then they'll just be staring and they'll just like eyes will glaze over and i'll just be making furious notes of like can't can't let this happen ever again so yeah after after the first um like handful of play tests i had something that that i was really happy with the early play test was all based off puzzles there was like just a whiff of story but it was the the old serious story and then i think maybe I'm trying to remember who's my first playtest that had like the funny story and like it worked and they were like, I wasn't like watching while it happened, but I was getting like Facebook messages like this is hilarious. Oh, I'm laughing at this part. This is great. And like, I like I knew that was it. I, when I had my, like my first playtest with a new story uh, and it was all sort of w working as intended. And then the, I do also like coming up with ideas that I know like from the get go should be very achievable. Like there's a whole industry about printing custom decks of cards. So me being able to print it and manufacture mass produce a custom deck of cards, very, very achievable. Like the first uh, escape room game I designed had like an office aesthetic, even though that wasn't the story. The story was, hey, you're test subjects. You've come here to, sh to, to be test subjects in a fun experiment. And then when you go in, they just lock you in a break room and you find out that they're just tricking test subjects into coming in to solve a problem because they're tired of their employees dying. So they're just tricking uh, just random people off the street. So it, I, I get away with a, a, you know, obvious office aesthetic, but the story was a little bit uh, sillier. So, so I like coming up with ideas that from the get go, I know I should be able to achieve this. So that, that also I, I went into a custom deck of cards being the medium for a game uh, with, with a lot more confidence than if I had gone into uh, or, you know, sought out to do my my hopefully will be my next game with this whole briefcase and lots of props and lots of so much ephemera oh god we love the ephemera in this business so i feel like it, it, it's all sort of gone according to plan other than the fact that i just took forever making it i'm glossing over the fact that i have a two-year-old child and i've been making the game for three years so a good chunk of that was delayed a little bit let's just say uh for <laughs> some some slightly more important things there's uh i can only think of one thing more important than frivolous tabletop puzzle games.
and no, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. Uh, it's just puzzle games. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, a long time in the making. The actual, the actual ramping up to the Kickstarter, I think, is probably where I've learned the most. Just bringing a game to Kickstarter. So Zach, there's this thing called marketing. Don't be worried if you haven't heard of this before, because I only found out about this myself a couple days ago. So I, truth be told, I didn't have enough confidence in this game until hearing back from reviewers that people were really liking it. And by the time that happened, it was like two weeks before the Kickstarter campaign. So it was like, okay, finally, I can with confidence go in and start, you know, self-promoting and, and all of this stuff, even though I'm listening to, you know, podcasts and reading blogs that are like six months out, you got to start, you know, you know, hitting the pavement, getting your name out there, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't even know if this will be fun. And so I hoped, I hoped that it was going to be good, but a lot of self-doubt coming over here from the West Coast. But yeah, so once I found out that things were were looking good, people were liking it, I uh, started trying to get the, the word out uh, as, as well as I could. Um, a lot of good guidance and mentorship from a boy, Step Lockyer of uh, Enigmailed. He's very nice at being helpful. And so he gave me some good pointers of how to sort of get your launch day nice and amped up because it's so, so important. And yeah, I got over halfway funded on the first day. <laughs> One funny story. You can tell that I ha I was a little over optimistic with the success of this Kickstarter because I made the, the middle tier option on the Kickstarter. I made an early bird version that a week later has not sold out of all of the like units I had available. And uh, I, after after a couple of days, I was like, this is ridiculous. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, I should just change the early bird so that that's the main one and then get rid of what I had intended to be the, the, the original version of that. Um, but one backer, one backer backed the non early bird version. So I can't delete that tier, that reward tier. And so I thought about messaging them. It's some guy named Ian. Ian, if you're listening to this, I was going to message you to say, hey, could you please save yourself five bucks and back the earlier version? But I think Ian wants me to live with the shame. I feel like that's probably what his motivation was. So you win this round, Ian. I'll live with the embarrassment of that forever now. So plenty of lessons learned. Let's just say that. <laughs> Spencer, this is your first game, but we are actually very excited to kind of hear from you. What's in store for the future of Spencer BB? as well as if that's uh, making more games at home, if that's potentially going back to escape rooms, or if that's just for you. Um, we're just intrigued to know what's in the future for you. I've been designing this game for so long that in the process, I've got plenty more ideas uh, in the pipeline. I have a fully designed game that's just uh, a little too ambitious for me at this point, that uh, it all takes place in a briefcase. The name of it is If Lost Return To, and you, you, you the player, are, are uh, just a nice... Good Samaritan who signed up for a service called the Do-Gooder Squad, where they'll just send you kind deeds. And one of the kind deeds is someone lost this briefcase. And so you need to find out who it belongs to so you can send it back to them. And uh, would, wouldn't you know it, uh, the Do-Gooder Squad is not all they seem to be. But yeah, another another uh, fun, silly one. And then I'm hoping to try to find someone who, who will partner with me in, in the gift basket business. Because I, I want to design some uh, at-home sort of simple murder mysteries, but your gift basket is a piece of evidence that you need to investigate. And so, uh, and it, it'd be called Basket Case. <laughs> it's one of the ones where I may have come up with a name first and then tried to come up with an idea <laughs> that fitted afterwards. And then uh, beyond that, before, even way back before I got into being an escape room uh, designer and owner, I was trying to dabble in video game design. And so I'm trying to get a little bit more into that. And so... 
I think my next foray into that is I'm going to try and recreate some of my old escape rooms in VR chat because it's free and you actually don't need a VR headset to play VR chat. And so as long as, and as long as you're on like a private server, you don't have to deal with uh, all the, all the noise uh, that you can get uh, <laughs> submersed in uh, when you're on there. Uh, but yeah, I thought that'd be a fun way to just uh, uh, try out some puzzle games, video game style and a platform that's just got built in like, co-op and multiplayer just there i just i just get to piggyback on it uh, but that just that's just a fun flight of fancy spencer a question we ask everyone what are other games you have been playing lately if that's at home games puzzle games board games video games escape rooms whatever um just shout out some things that you think others would enjoy light of the mist by post curious um i think that's the last puzzle game i played it's just so good so good this <laughs> This card-based puzzle game came out while I was designing my own version of it. And the art is so good. It like makes me angry every time I look at the art for this game. Jack Fallows, just absolute slam dunk home run. And the puzzles are great. So it's very, very fun. I think that's all I'm gonna, I can shout out for puzzle games. Um, but probably, probably been playing too many um, video games for the fact that I have a live Kickstarter. But I'm super addicted to uh, Super Mario Maker 2. I designed escape room levels in Super Mario Maker 2. I wind up making puzzles in any game that I can. Uh, I made like a puzzle galaxy in No Man's Sky. But yeah, and then, oh, here's a classic for, for, for the listeners out there. This uh, franchise called Earth Defense Force. You can play four-player co-op. You can play online. It's such good, silly fun. Thousands of just like insects the size of houses swarm you over cities. You just get overwhelmed, but your guns and weapons get so outrageous that you just wipe them off the face of the earth. It's such good fun. Uh, so I've been playing a little bit of that lately. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an honor to get to talk to you about Lost in the Shuffle as well as get to know you better um, as a person. If you've been listening to this podcast and you're like, wow, Lost in the Shuffle sounds awesome. Well, it is, as well as you should check it out. You can actually go to Kickstarter and find Lost in the Shuffle. It's on there. Spencer has been fundraising it. Um, you can get on there and see the different tiers that you can potentially get it at. It's an amazing game. It's a great way to support them on there. Um, depending on when you listen to this, it might not be on Kickstarter anymore. But as of right now, it is. So check it out on Kickstarter. We'll have a link to it in the description notes below this episode. But other than that, other ways you can support us here at Puzzling Company, Jared, as well as myself, Zach, you can go to Patreon and become one of our patrons. There's many different tiers you can join us at. Uh, on there, you'll be get access to our Discord, be able to talk to us, be able to get some of our digital games for free that we have played on the show, as well as get to see certain content early. Uh, as well as going into the new year, we might have some new content for Patreon. You'll just have to see. Other things you can do is that you can go to our social media and follow us on there. Um, you can like us on Facebook as well as follow us on Instagram at Puzzling Company. There you'll be able to see new posts as well as updates as well as new content that will be coming along the way. You can go wherever you listen to this podcast, if that's iTunes, Google, Stitcher, anywhere, Pandora, wherever it is, you can go on there and if you can leave us a five-star review, we would super appreciate it. And that's actually going to wrap up this episode of Puzzling Company. Next week's episode, I'm actually going to leave it as a little surprise for everyone of what we get to cover. But I am very excited to get to cover our next week's game. But on that, this will be this episode of Puzzling Company for Jared and Zach. We shall see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. 
Chipped Cassette Studios. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.